John chapter 17. We have been going through this night with Jesus, this one night with Jesus and his disciples. And as John writes this, uh, we've been talking about how these words, 60 years later, six decades later, John, in his, in his old age, and after he's seen the church established and flourish, comes back to, to write some stories that haven't been written down in the Gospels. And he writes as an eyewitness, and he believes that these words that, that he writes, the stories that he writes, and certainly focusing on this night so much, that these are things that drove what changed the world. There is no doubt that the world was changed by the life and death of Jesus, by the resurrection of him, by those who saw the resurrected Jesus and by those who then went out to bear witness. There is no doubt that the world was changed by that. And I think, as we started this series, I just looked at us and said, do we think the world could use change? Do we think the world still needs that kind of transformation? I think we all agree it does. And so maybe when we look back at these words that Jesus had, we could take to heart some of the things that those guys took to heart because they were not superhuman. In fact, most of them would have been considered regular people without education, without anything special. And yet these words of Jesus that they took to heart and they went and lived out changed the world. So that's why we're in John chapter 17. Um, I want to start by talking about my grandkids. And I think none of you will be surprised about this. Anyone who's shocked, you can come talk to me later. I can explain the realities of life to you. But um, in our backyard, we have a swing set. And when it's time to go outside, uh, there are three swings on the swing set. Two of them are the like, you know, the just chains and a seat. They're kind of open air, right? And the younger grandkids, that's a little bit dangerous and scary. We're trying to teach them, like, get on your belly so you can swing on it. But there's one in the middle that is like four little kids, and you can put them in and strap them in, and then you can swing them. So when I go out with, with the two, the ones that are two and three, when I go out with them, guess what happens? We have a fight over who's going to get into the swing. Now, how many of you are shocked that my grandchildren already know what selfishness is. Me first, me first, me first. And we say, okay, well, let's take turns. And as soon as they get the idea of let's take turns, they have a brilliant solution to taking turns, which is my turn first, right? I mean, we go down to the, to the basement and they wa they'll watch a movie or something on a TV. And my grandchildren, I don't know about anybody else's, but my grandchildren need to be about this close to the TV when they watch a movie. So we set up a chair near the TV. Actually, I set up two chairs, like, kind of next to the TV. Whichever chair one of them goes to, the other one wants that chair, right? Now, nowhere in their lives has their parents taken them aside and said, now, listen, let me teach you how to think about yourself first. Nowhere in their lives have they gotten this training. It is natural. It is inborn. It is something that no matter how long you've lived and Christians, no matter how long you've known Jesus, it's still there, isn't it? We think, me, what's going on for me? We think I'm the, the headliner, I'm the center of the story. It's a very natural thing. But the truth, and the truth I think we're gonna see in Jesus' prayer today is that when I think that I live for myself, living for myself is a natural way of living, the reality is it doesn't bring me to life. I will not be fully alive until I understand that this life and this world are not about me. If this life and this world is about you, that's a pretty depressing thought. Because what happens is, 
I live, I do stuff, I die, the end. There's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no depth. And my soul, I don't know about yours, but my soul cries out and says, that's not big enough for my existence, that I just live and do stuff and die. Even if we got a bunch of lives, it doesn't matter how many lives you have, there's not, not, not enough time, not enough opportunity to live for yourself into a way that can make it matter enough. The reality is that none of us can live for ourselves and actually live. We see this reflection in our world all the time, and it's a spiritual reality that's reflected even in non-spiritual things. Like when a team functions well because the star player is not super selfish, but they function together. Instead of playing for yourself, you play for the team. Or simple things like marriage, how marriage works when we aren't making it all about me but instead serving one another in love. If I'm counseling people and you sat in and you were sitting in my office listening to me counsel someone and we're talking about premarital uh, counseling with people, they're saying, well, what should we do? What's the key to, to living happily ever after in marriage? And I were to say to them, make sure you get what you want. Make sure you're always first. You probably reach out and slap me, right? It's a ridiculous piece of advice. We get it in relationships, that self-centered living doesn't work. Being a parent is a wonderful blessing, but I can bear witness that self-centered parenting will do untold damage to children. There are people in our world, and we celebrated this weekend, who will give their lives to something bigger than themselves, a cause that they can believe in. And that all reflects this deeper truth that we weren't made for something as small as just living my life. That's far too minimal to measure up to what we were made for. Just following my intellect, following my understanding, following my desires, just doing what I want to do. In fact, I am here to tell you that we were made for something so big, it's this big. We were made for the glory of the one who made us. It all revolves around your throne. The praise is yours. You may have seen the grandeur of his work. And there's a reason that we are moved by the, the, the stunning sunset or why people like to go to the ocean and look out at the ocean. We were, it resonates with us that we were made for something bigger, beautiful. We were made for the glory of this one. We were made to, as people to reflect his glory as well. And then when everything went wrong in the world, when sin entered the world, we became people who were invited to be coming back. We are invited to be a part of his plan to redeem, to rescue, and invite others into a resurrection of their souls, a restoration. You can keep living for yourself if you want. Living, and I'm talking believers. I'm not talking, you know, all oh, those lost people live for themselves. Look about believers. We live for ourselves all the time. It is a war that we underestimate and we ignore, but you can keep living for yourself, living by what you think, what you understand, what you want, what you think everybody else thinks about. You can keep living for it, but it's a never-ending race. And some of us feel the tired, but we don't know where the tired is coming from. You can keep running and racing and trying to get ahead of everyone else, just feeling like I'm trying to catch up. The truth is every single Christian, we were made for so much more than just this dying world, just this rat race, just survival. We follow one who gave himself up for us. 
the one that we worship this morning, the one who rules and reigns in power, that one gave himself up for us. Paul says it twice in Ephesians. He gave himself up for us. We follow him when we stop living for ourselves, when we start giving ourselves up for others and living for a kingdom that isn't about me. When Jesus, when we look at the Lord's Prayer and Jesus talks about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is a revolutionary prayer because what it includes is not my kingdom, not my will. I wonder if our prayer life is shaped by this reality. I would suggest to you that part of the reason that the world was changed by this group of men who that night were going off the rails, they were just about to, to, to lose it and to be dispersed and scattered and running in fear and hiding, this group of people that had no strength to speak of and really didn't even understand so well, but these words that Jesus said to them, this thing that Jesus invited them into as he prays to his Father, changed the world. And part of that is because we can change the world by living for the glory of God instead of the glory of me. And I wish to the Lord, I wish to God, that this is what we were always about as believers that we went out and reflected him. It's rightfully called sacrifice and surrender because that's what we're doing. But those concepts in our language really undermine an understanding of what we're talking about because when I talk about sacrifice and surrender, I'm focused on what I lose. But the fact of the matter is you don't lose anything really in comparison to what you get when you follow Jesus. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. What you get when you follow Jesus, life, <laughs> hope, peace, Passion, purpose, right? You get, you get immeasurable things, priceless things. We find connection with others that we've longed for is so much simpler when, I, when my life is not about me and I get that when I enter into the kingdom of God. I find purpose, meaning, direction, power in living for the glory of my king instead of the glory of me. Believers, this is what we are called to. When we talk about sharing your faith, when we talk about witnessing and testifying, I'm talking about to each other and I'm talking about to the people around you that God wants to, to show himself to. We do it when we stop making the story about me and I start embracing and patterning my life that my story's about him. So we're gonna start in chapter 17 of John with verses six to eight. And we're gonna start with the, Jesus is in the midst of this prayer to his father. He's taken chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 and talked to his disciples. And now in chapter 17, he's praying to his father. And we started this last week. We're gonna start here by seeing that some of the way that we find purpose and meaning and life and hope is by responding to what God has revealed. So read with me verses six to eight. It says this, I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. It starts by Jesus saying, I have revealed you to them. Jesus' point in coming to this world was to reveal the Father. People say, well, I don't know God. I can't understand God. Jesus is the one who came to say, now I am revealing. I am making obvious. I am making physical 
This God that, that wants to know you, that, that it has been ethereal, that has been far away. Now I'm coming close. He's praying to his father, and he's in the conversation saying, listen, I've shown you to them. By extension, he's not just praying for the guys in the room. He's praying for us. We'll see that in a couple weeks. But he's, he's saying, and John is including this prayer all these years later, that, that God Almighty has been revealed if you want to live for the glory of God, you must live in response to what Jesus and those who follow God have revealed about God to us. That God revealed himself to you. You didn't find him, you're not that smart. Right? If God wanted to play hide and seek, you would never find him. First of all, he's got the whole universe and you don't, right? Anybody been out to like the universe? <laughs> Right? We don't get, we don't have that kind of capacity. But he's even beyond the universe because he created the universe. So if God wanted to hide from us, we would never find him. But this is, and this is very core and foundational to what it means to know Jesus, to what it means to be a Christian, to what it means about who he is. That God's goodness is shown in the fact that he bridged the gap between our inability to find him and our need for him to save us. He's the one who bridged the gap. So Jesus coming is God bridging that gap so we could know. And it's because he wanted us to know him because he knew if we didn't know him, all that was broken in us would remain broken. But our heavenly father wanted to heal what has been broken in us. He wanted us to understand his love. He wanted to give us peace. He wanted to fill our eternal soul with life. And take away the death that we start with. That's the goodness of God shown in the fact that he revealed himself to us through Jesus and through his work throughout history. This is what we were created for in the beginning. This relationship, this connectedness, this receiving of life from him. It's what we lost when sin entered the world, when, when we rebelled against him, that Jesus came to reveal and make plain that God wants to invite us back in. He spent years teaching and showing and working to bring a base level understanding of the goodness, the love, and the grace of God to mankind. So if I want to live for the glory of God, if I want to live for a purpose beyond me, it starts by living into what has been revealed. That's why we get together on Sunday morning and we open up the word of God, right? You don't care what I have to say. You shouldn't care what I have to say. We care what he has to say, right? So as we look into it, then we're invited to respond to it. And what happens, Jesus talks about this. First he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. Do you feel that sense of belong there? They belong to you. What is it that people in this life really desperately need? Don't they need to feel like they are accepted, like they belong like they're a part of something where they matter and people care about them? Aren't we built for that sense of belonging? Well, as we live into what God has revealed, we receive this sense of belonging to him. He says they were taken out of the world. So believers, here's the truth, and I, I want you to get this today because I think this is, this is a very practical how we live thing. If you are a Christian, you do not belong to this world anymore. Now you belong to your king. You don't still belong to you. You belong to him. Our lives should reflect that we belong to him 
and not us. If you're a believer and you're still thinking or talking or acting like you belong to the world, you're gonna feel really lost. You're gonna feel really empty. If you still think that I'm a believer and I can own myself, we don't. We don't belong to this world. We don't see things the way that they do. Not because we're better, but because we know and we've accepted and we've responded to the fact that there's a king who's worth living for and a kingdom that's worth inviting others into. And so as we do that, that allows us to belong and we follow him. He says, they have obeyed my word. In other words, what he's saying is I've taught them and they didn't obey it perfectly and you don't either. But they're on this path. They're on this idea of, all right, Jesus said this. That's what I'm going to try to do. And Jesus said, now I want you to go do this. And they would go do this. And they, I don't understand it, Jesus. It's okay, you're, you're following me. You've picked a side. You said there was a whole uh, you know, element there that was like Jesus is the worst and Jesus is somebody to reject and Jesus is poisonous and, and he's somebody that's gonna betray you if you believe him. But these disciples said, no, we're going to trust him. We're going to follow him. And as they did, the rest of the world opposed him or ignored him. They followed Jesus. Jesus said, they belong to me. And some of the evidence of that is that they follow me. They follow me. When we figure out that we're made to live into this king, this kingdom, we're made to live for his glory, what happens is we start to see insecurity and anxiety melt away. He says, now they know. Now they know with certainty. They have assurance about who Jesus is. They have assurance about what's in life, what matters, what doesn't matter, what's valuable, what's real. So believer... If you're struggling with those things, it's because you're trying to live for something that's not Jesus. You might put the Jesus label on it, but when you actually live for his glory, we're praying this morning in my office before the church, and I said to the Lord, I'm glad this isn't about me. Because if it was, I would have all kinds of anxiety. It would feel real heavy, right? Oh, how am I gonna do enough today for this to be a big enough thing? This isn't about me. So all I do is I come and I say, everybody, let's take a look at Jesus. And then it's about him. And he's the one who has healing and he's the one who has power and he's the one who has strength and he's the one who has hope and he's the one whose love is enough and he's the one who never fails. Not me. I've failed most of you. Probably all of you could make a list of how I failed you, right? Like we could get, that would be a great list. Let's gather that list up, right? How has Mark let me down? Like that, that it would be a, it would be a bestseller. I fail you. Jesus doesn't. So let's look at him and let's follow him. And then there's this certainty that comes out. And I know it feels like, oh, how could I fall into this trust? And some of us have been really wounded in relationships that we should have trusted. It's hard to trust. But as believers, where hope is found is in abandoning myself to him, to saying my life is yours, Lord. I don't need to carry the weight of my life. It's not all on my shoulders. I don't need to feel lost. I'm just living in the truth that I know, and I'm here to follow you, so help me. And when we do that, we bring glory to Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says this. I pray for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and, the glory, and glory has come to me through them. What Jesus says is that glory has come to him through his disciples. Isn't that amazing? Let's talk about that in a second, but let me start with this. In Jesus' economy here, as he prays to his Father, I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world. There is a line of in or out. Not everyone belongs to Jesus. 
Not everyone's in. And it doesn't matter what label you put on you. I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Baptist. It doesn't matter what label you put on you. That's not how the line gets determined. The line gets determined when you put your faith in him, when you will become a child of God. Jesus saying, I'm praying for those who are yours, not those who have rejected you. All are invited to receive by faith eternal life that comes from belonging to the Lord. But in Jesus's way of talking about it, there's an in and an out. And so today, I don't know all your stories. I don't know what's going on in your heart and soul. And I'm not the judge of you. But I would say, if you're struggling with what I'm talking about, if you're struggling because your life is filled with heaviness, your life is filled with anxiety, your life is filled with frustration, your life is filled with just surviving, then what you need to do is, is ask yourself this foundational question. Am I his or not? Have I come by faith and received eternal life as a gift? Or am I still trying to manage my life? Jesus says, you can belong as a part of my kingdom. And then this, this is beyond, I can't really explain this to you, so I'm just gonna trust that the Spirit can talk to us about this, but he says, glory has come to me through them. This is maybe the most incomprehensible privilege and miracle that there is. Because God is glorious in and of himself. If I never praised God, he's still more glorious than I could ever explain to you, right? If today we just got here and we sat down and everybody was like, yeah, God's cool, whatever, I don't care, and we just moved on, God is diminished zero in his glory because he is glorious beyond measure, right? And yet somehow Jesus says, this bunch of hooligans that are my disciples, glory has come to me through them. A glorious God does not need us to bring him glory, but God invites us to be a part of his work, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his glory. And I would say for our lives, what that means is that we live into what he's shown us and what he's instructed us. Most of the time, it means little things that seem too small to make any difference, but you know what the truth is, is in my mess and in my weakness, he is strong. So as I do a little thing that nobody ever notices and that seems like nothing would ever change because of that, my God takes that little and turns it into eternal much. Isn't that for the glory of God? Because you know the mess of your life, and yet even in the mess of your life, God is able to bring glory through you. That's how great our God is. That's how glorious he is, and that's the privilege. Uh, John, in 15, chapter 15, when we were talking about bearing fruit, we were talking about the vine and the branches. God, he says, glory comes to him as we bear fruit. And before that, he had said, we can't bear fruit without being connected to the vine, meaning that our fruit is produced through our branch is really the work of Jesus producing it in us. So his glory comes out through imperfect people as we live for the glory of the king. So today, here we are together, lifting up his name, and the praise is yours, and, and you are worthy, and you've been so good, you're so good, how could we not believe in you? We lift that up to him, and we have seen God do miracles in our midst, in our church. We've seen um, marriages that faithfully follow Jesus, that, that evidence the goodness of God. We've seen friendships that model his love. Um, we've seen people that invest their time and their talent and their energy into this and give glory to God. We've seen people walk beside others in hurt and pain and loss. These things are reflections of the kingdom of God. When we forgive, when we let go of what has been done to us, when we work through that, when we find our way through that to healing, we reflect him. When we bear witness, we tell people that God is 
good enough that you can be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. We give glory to him. But understand this, while we're giving glory to him, it's not about us. It's about him. It is not about us. In fact, we are not our own. Did you know that you don't belong to yourself? Christian, did you know that you don't belong to yourself? If you don't know that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your life is not to be lived for you. From Psalm 100, we are his people. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We live in a world that says, in a, in a culture, especially American culture, it's all about you. It's all about what you think. It's all about how you define life. It's all about what you want. It's all about what you understand. And that's garbage. I mean, I'm, I don't want to throw stones at it. And like, if you don't know God, I understand why you think that. But the reality is, there's no hope down that path. And many of us can testify to that, can't we? Defining yourself, making up your own reality is not a pathway to life and hope. We are his people. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And then there's this kicker, this thing that's often missed in the talk about surrender and sacrifice about serving God. And that is this, that God is so good. His goodness is so good that what he asks us to do and the way that he leads us and when we follow him, it's actually a pathway to what we were chasing anyway, but we were never gonna get. Isn't it? What I'm looking for is, I'm looking like, how can I know that I matter? How can I know that I'm someone? How can I know that I have value? You chase it through performance. You chase it through approval. You chase it. You can't get it down those roads. But you know what? Jesus gives it to you. You belong to me. You're my child. You're a child of the kingdom of heaven. He gives it to us. So when we follow him, his goodness is so good that we get everything that we've been chasing. When our lives are lived for the glory of the king, we find security. We find peace because we're held by the almighty and we're assured that this is the real truth, believers. Everything is going to be all right in the end. It may not be all right now, and it may get real dark, but if God Almighty holds you and he has promised you paradise and eternal life, then I can tell you with certainty, you can know everything's gonna be all right in the end. He will carry you safely there. Verse 11 and 12, he says this in his prayer. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And he's talking there obviously about Judas who's already walked out in this evening as we've read the story back in chapter 13. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm about to go. I'm not gonna be here anymore. And that going is gonna be pretty tragic. The cross, eventually the ascension, that night, it was pretty chaotic for them. I'm going to go. Jesus, when he says, I'm, I will remain in the world no longer, I'm getting out of here, that's gonna be very unsettling to them. It's gonna feel tragic. It's gonna feel like the bottom dropped out of their lives. And some of us are far too familiar with what it feels like for the bottom to drop out of your life. That's what's about to happen to these disciples as Jesus says, I'm going to go. But here's what Jesus is saying as he prays. In that moment, for those who belong to me, for those who have brought glory to my name, 
They can know that you hold them by your power, that you protect them with all of your goodness. They are safe. They will never be lost because God Almighty holds them. That is the goodness of God. We are so secure, and you, can know, you are secure whether you know it or not, believer. But you can know it when you live for your purpose. He says, I, have held you, I ask you for the sake of the name that you gave me, and I have protected them by the name that you gave me. And it kind of sounds a little weird, like it's some kind of magic formula, open sesame. We don't think of names exactly the same way that they did in that culture, but we kind of recognize that a name embodies a person. As you go through, like if you ever had a discussion about naming a child, Usually in that discussion, somewhere along the way, a name will show up and someone will say, you can't name that child that because I know somebody and I don't like them. <laughs> right? Like there's, there's nothing magical about that name, but that name embodies a person. And so because it embodies a person, like, nope, that's a veto. You can't, can't have that name. Right? Um, or... Names have identity. They sum up a person, even more so in biblical times. Most biblical names have a meaning, and you can do this throughout Scripture, but I'll just take you to one. Abraham's name gets changed from Abram. Abram means exalted father. God changes it in Genesis 17 to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And God did that as he promised that this childless old man would have a child. And so God changed his name because names have a meaning. So when Jesus talks about this name, what he's talking about is how I have reflected you, the person that I am, the, the, the identity that, that I have shown them of my father, of me. Protect them by this person, by this power. And protect them from what? Many of us pray protection prayers. What do we ask God to protect us from? Protect us from harm, protect us from damage, keep us safe on the road, right? Protect us from outside things destroying us. But that's not what Jesus is praying for. Protect them from, he says, may they be one as we are one. Protect them from what would destroy them from being together, from being unified that they may be one. What Jesus is asking is for the Father to protect them from what will divide them. I think one of the great themes of history in the church is ambition. Seeking my own glory. And it has been a huge source, even in the church, of conflict and division amongst God's people. So I wonder, as Jesus is here before the Father and says, protect them by the name, protect them by the person that you are, protect them by the power that you have and everything that that name reflects about you, protect them by that name so that they will be one. Sounds like unity is pretty important to Jesus, right? And if it's that important to Jesus, maybe we should evaluate how easily we throw it away to win points and power, to win the arguments, to, be, to show ourselves as right and others as wrong. I think sometimes unity is hard to clarify, so we just give up on it. We, I can't compromise the truth. You've got to know the truth. So something has to go. I guess we'll just give up on unity. I won't give up on the truth. But I think there's a challenge here. I think it's a challenge for every one of us. When we serve Jesus, we live out what he prayed for. If Jesus is the one getting the glory, it seems like if if what we're doing and how I'm living, if Jesus is the point of what I'm doing and how I'm living, it seems like a lot of the reasons that we divide amongst each other and fight amongst each other would evaporate if we were living for Jesus's glory.
So today, here's the invitation I have for us. Let's make our church one that strives to bring glory to Jesus and not us. Let's make this about his reputation and not ours. Whether we're on stage, whether we hold a position, whether we serve in a classroom or even just some unseen ministry like prayer team or even a more thankless one like cleaning up and setting up for events, our goal is not that we get thanked. Our goal is not that we look good. Our goal is not to receive praise or for people to think well of me. It is that they are amazed at a Savior like this who can redeem anything. And the testimony of my life is this Redeemer is great and he can rescue anyone from anything. Right? There is a God who knows us completely and loves us more than we ever dared to dream. And I want my life to reflect that. How about you? So this week, let's make this our prayer. Jesus, how can I bring glory to you? How can I bring glory to you? How can I get out of the way? How can I stop making it about me? How can my life bring glory to you?